this lesson this this afternoon I'll get this mic down on my face that better this lesson this afternoon really is a lesson that was a Bible study at Jay's coffee shop corner of Main Street and Maple and in Nicholasville Kentucky where we do our Bible study on the first Saturday of each month and I decided that I was going to embellish a little bit on some of the things that we looked at and presented this afternoon. Question for you, and the question I raised then uh, is, have you ever been discouraged by a passage or set of passages in Scripture, in particular in the New Testament? Um, I'm not talking about Scriptures that are meant to convict you or point out or bring out some error that you've committed or some wrong you're doing or some, some shortcoming that you may have, but something that would normally be a source of encouragement, and yet it discourages you. I know Kyle mentioned a passage that was something like that for him. For me, it has been the same passage, and it's happened to me more than once, and that is Hebrew chapter 11. It's normally when I read it, I get encouraged and see all the wonderful things people did, but sometimes I look at it and I say, Noah was told to, to build an ark of gopher wood, and I'm reading from the New American Standard. You may have some other word there for it. I can't even put a nail into wood straight. It goes every which way. And I'm going to build a boat? Uh-uh. Abraham followed God's counsel and prospered in everything he did. Well, I follow all the instructions that I can, but I tell you, there's more weeds in my garden than there are anything else. I, I, I don't hear God's voice. I don't hear him speaking to me. They spoke, and they heard God's voice. You could go about Moses and Joseph and Jacob and all of these wonderful people. I'm none of these people. You know, and it can be discouraging reading all of these things about all these wonderful folks. But God has provided for you and me examples of faith that everyone can follow. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, we read a, tra a definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. Again, I'm reading from the New American Standard, so you, what you see may be different. What does assurance mean? It may be substance. It comes from a word called hypothesis, the same word, uh, it's a variation of the same word that's used in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. It's a standing under, hence the quality of or confidence uh, which leads one to stand under, endure, or undertake something. What does conviction or reproof or reproof mean? It comes from a word to elegamus. It means to prove, uh, approving or test. In other words, 
Faith is believing in something and then acting on it. This faith is a quality of confidence which leads one to undertake anything uh, and proving or testing that, that confidence. In verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11, we read, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This afternoon I'm going to read three examples of faith of ordinary people that's found in the Gospels. The first one is found in, it's actually found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but the, trans, the version I'm going to read or account is going to be found in uh, Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 42, 49 through 56. And it's the account of Jairus, um, who's a synagogue official. And Jesus returned, and as Jesus returned, the people welcomed him. For they all had been waiting for him. Another translation leads you to understand that this is, was his hometown. So this is possibly Capernaum where Jesus is at. And there came a man named Jairus. And he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. Dropping down to verse 49. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be, be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him, except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately, and he gave orders for someone to give her something to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. How was Jairus' faith first demonstrated? It was demonstrated in the fact that he came to Jesus, um, possibly from Capernaum. We'll not really know if that's where he came from, but we know that he came to Jesus. He believed he had a, he had a daughter who was seriously ill, and he believed enough in Jesus that he believed he could heal him. Even though it's, we don't, we're not told, we don't know if he had seen Jesus at uh, healing people, if he heard him preach, or what we know about him. But he believed enough in Jesus to go to him. What was his real test of faith, though? Matthew's account picks up when Jairus has been told that his daughter has died. Luke and Mark 
he is he is informed of the child's uh, death on the way with Jesus. And while on the way, in Mark 8, verse 50, Jesus tells him, don't be afraid. Believe, and the daughter will be healed. That was his real test. He's been told that his daughter has died. He could have said, uh, you know, look, I really appreciate the thought. I really appreciate the fact that you were going to come and help my daughter, but she's died, and I'm not going to bother you anymore. You know, don't need to go. His real faith was that Jesus could do something about it, and he continued on that journey. And his faith was rewarded. Um, his daughter meant a lot to him, enough to go to Jesus. And Jesus responded to that faith in healing that daughter. Some of you are parents out here. Imagine if this was your child. Just think how you would feel if that child was so deathly sick. Would you not go to Jesus as well? The second one, and in the, in the accounts in particular, uh, the three accounts, this story of a woman with a hemorrhage is interjected. And I'm not absolutely sure other than it said there were a lot of people crowded around him. Let's look at the uh, account that is written in Mark chapter 24 through 34. Mark 24 through 34. And he went off with him, and the crowds were following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had when was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, You see this crowd around us? See everybody that's touching you? Who touched me? And you say, You touched me. He looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling and aware of <coughs> what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. This lady had this illness for 12 years. Well, any of us that have any major issues with you, going a few days can be kind of a trip. But to go for 12 years with a serious problem as is hemorrhaging is a long, long, long time in one's life. And she got to a lot of doctors, and they didn't help her. 
but it only made the things worse. And not only that, she spent all her money. Sounds like what sometimes we do. We go from doctor to doctor to doctor, and none of them seem to be really helping us until we find the right one. She believed her faith was that if she touched Jesus, that we should be healed. But her real test was admitting that she touched Jesus, admitting that she believed in him. And that's what she was doing when she was admitting it. And in doing so, uh, admitted and acknowledged that she believed Jesus could heal her. She expressed her faith in Jesus. And because of that, she was healed. The final example that we want to look at is found in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 4, the verses 46 through 53. And it's titled, The Healing of the Nobleman's Son. Therefore he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when, they began, when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. This is again the second sign that Jesus performed while he was coming out of Judea into Galilee. This gentleman had a son who was dying. And again, we have this image of a child. How much parents care about their children. Now, we have families with children here and how much care they give to them and how much they're concerned over them. This man had a son who was dying. And he asked Jesus to come and heal that son. When he was asking Jesus, the distance between Cana and Capernaum is about 25 miles. That's a long distance to walk. Now, when I was young, I could walk about three miles an hour, which means it was going to be about nine hours before I get there. At this day and age, it's probably about 18 or 20 hours because I'm going to walk a lot slower. But that was a long walk to go one way to heal someone and then return to do whatever he's wanting. Jesus said to him, you know, your son is healed. The man could, his real test uh, was that he followed Jesus' instruction. He could have ranted and raved. He said, I am a royal official. I am someone special. You have to go with me. She could have forced him. He could have left him in mad and said, you know, you're an imposter. You can't do anything. But he didn't. He believed that Jesus could heal his son. And he went away without seeing the results. And because he believed, 
his son was healed in the very hour that he believed. What are the lessons that we can learn from this? These are three really ordinary people, persons whose account is given in maybe 10, 11 verses in the Bible. One of them is only given in one, one gospel. Uh, the other two are given in at least three gospels. They didn't have chapter after chapter after chapter written about them. We don't hear their name mentioned in, as an active first-party part in two, three, four different books in the Bible. We only hear a few verses in them. But God cared about them. God cares about you. Although the rest of the world is never going to know anything about you unless you do something really crazy, God cares about you. Each believed enough in Jesus to approach Jesus. So should we. We should believe enough in God. We should believe enough to approach him. There's no great details given of these people, of their lives, their backgrounds, whatever. Yet God took care of them. Do you not think that God will also take care of us? Do you not think that God cares for us? They each recognized that Jesus and our God was the answer for their needs. Whatever our needs are, whether they're great or small, God is willing to help us if we recognize his will and care. Each approached God without doubt for help. When we approach God at any time, we need to do so without doubt. No matter who we are, we need to approach God without doubt. These three people, look who they were. One was a nobleman. We don't know whether he may have been of Herod's line, uh, whether he was a nobleman placed there by the uh, king from King David's or one of the other royal lines, who he was. He could have been anyone. Today we don't really have royalty, except we call them politicians. One was a religious leader and synagogue official. We don't really know much about what his duties were, whether he was the leader or just a follower, the low end of something. Today, it might be an elder. It might be a deacon within a local congregation. One was an ordinary citizen. Nobody knows anything about other than was a lady with hemorrhage. Yet Jesus treated each of them the same way, with the same love, the same care, the same concern, and all received the same results. We need to treat all people the same way as uh, we want to be treated. God is not uh, a respecter of persons and will treat and respond to all people equally. And certainly that is a lesson that we need to learn from this. Turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 6, and then we'll go into Matthew 7 right afterwards. In Matthew 6, 
Jesus is talking about prayer. And in, uh, in verse 7, he says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows that you what, what you need before you ask him. Again, over into chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him. While in the days of Jesus, uh, walking upon the earth, uh, people could approach him in person. We cannot do that today. But we do approach God through prayer. 11.6, the passage we read out of Hebrews says, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of, of those, and that is you and I, um, the ordinary person who seek him. We go to God, and when we go to God in prayer, we, the common, ordinary person, the dot and a sea of dots, can approach the creator of heaven and earth. And all upon it. And he will listen. We have to understand that while he will listen, he will answer our prayer. But he's going to give us what we need, not what we want. The father who has a son who wants a loaf is not going to give him something like a stone. Or a fish is not going to give him something harmful like a snake. I think it would be uh, inappropriate to think that God would give us something that is not good for us. He's not going to get it or it's something we need. He knows our needs before we even approach him. Yet, we need to approach him. He's giving, again, willing to give us what is good for us. You and I are much more important than the birds of the air. But in Matthew 6, 26, it says, He takes care of the birds of the air. You and I, no matter who we are, how important we are in society or within the local congregation, it doesn't matter. God will take care of us. I hope that you will look at the New Testament. And in particular, when you read the Gospels, when you look at the accounts of the man let down, uh, the pilot who was paralyzed, the man who was born blind, um, the man who could not get into the pool when it was moved, and in all of the other accounts that you see of people healed, 
realize that these were just ordinary people. Most of them, we don't know their name, but God did. Jesus knew who these people were, and he cared for them. God will care for each one for, of us. He does care for each one of us. The gospel invitation is extended to you if there is something that you've done that has maybe separated you from God. I don't see anyone here who's not made that commitment. Um, but if we can help you in any way, we encourage you to come forward as we sing the song of invitation. <laughs>